Welcome to The Road to Tinue, a King Killer Chronicle fan podcast where we talk about Patrick Rothfuss and the works that he has created. Today shouldn't be very spoiler heavy, so if you haven't read the books, that's probably going to be okay, but you should still read them because they're great. Today I am joined by Max Temkin. Hello, Max. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Ah, it's my pleasure. For anyone who doesn't recognize your name, who are you? Uh, I that's a what a complicated question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am a game designer and a graphic designer. Uh, my background is that I work on uh, democratic uh, political campaigns and elections. And then at some point in my life, I started making games, and I became pretty well known for that. And I uh, I make a game called Cards Against Humanity. That's like a comedy party game. And uh, I'm probably uh, relevant to your listeners because I am uh, I'm an FOP. I'm a friend of Pat. <laughs> and uh, Pat, Pat and I have been friends for um, uh, many years now. We, we sort of met um, because we went to a lot of the same conventions and we would do like, you know, mm, like we'd like travel together and like hang out and stuff. And eventually we just, I don't know, we just sometimes you just meet someone and, and you're just like, this, this person is so weird and interesting. And I think Pat and I both felt that way about each other. And, um, you know, uh, because of our tendency to sort of professionalize like every fun good thing in our lives and turn everything in our lives into work we eventually we started a podcast unattended consequences yeah but i think we have to change the name so basically it used to be called what was it it used to god what was it what did it used to be called it had a name in the when we did it in the first season and then we took a break and we brought it back and then we called it unattended consequences and then oh i think we called it untitled patrick rothfuss podcast the first time we did it (laughs) And then it was unintended consequences. And now we're actually, well, I can break some news, which is like we're kind of gearing up to bring the podcast back. I'm hoping in, you know, sometime in April or March, we we should be back and hopefully in a more sustainable way, uh, which is exciting. We're like getting a a producer to help us out and stuff. And I'm thinking about, I think one of the names we were kicking around is Backstage with Patrick Rothfuss. What do you think? That sounds, it sounds a little theatery, but I still Mm -hmm. like it. I Pat said this thing on the podcast that I thought was really smart where he said, you know, he's like sometimes Pat says a lot of things that are really smart. But one <laughs> of the things he said on the podcast that I think about all the time is he's like when you follow people on Twitter who are successful, it's easy to look at them and be like, oh, they're so they're like really smart or they have their life together or they're they're really different than me. But he said, just just keep in mind that you're looking at their on stage. You know, they're they're creating a character and they're sort of on stage when they're on Twitter and Instagram. And you're not seeing the backstage. Like the backstage, they're a mess just the same as you are. And I always thought that was really smart, and I think about that all the time. And I thought that would be a that 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 sort of stuck with me as like a as a possible name for the podcast. No, that's great, especially with the the quick little explanation. It's 100% good. I'm just imagining being someone who doesn't know who Patrick Rothfuss is, looking at uh, lists of podcasts and being like, I don't care about theater. I don't. Ah, but if you don't know who Pat is, you're not gonna you're gonna turn it on. You're gonna be like, who is this guy talking about talking about you know taking his children to see ducks at the park? You know, the whole <laughs> thing's gonna be like the whole thing's gonna be like. Well, what I is think this? even someone who doesn't know the two of you could it, listen to that podcast and still have a good time. Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. Yeah, um, you get... yeah I'm a little self conscious about it because it's kind of a like it's it it really just started out as like let's just hit record on a Skype call, you know, like a normal phone call that we do and. We'll see what happens. And um, I, I'm a little self-conscious of it because it is kind of like a, a two white guys talking podcast, which is like the worst <laughs> genre of podcast. But I've gotten really nice comments from people about it. And I think a lot of, um, especially of, of, you know, Pat's fans and readers and stuff have, have connected with it. And uh, it's helped raise money for world builders as well. So that's a nice, um, that's Pat's charity that benefits uh, Heifer International. So that's um, that's kind of the main reason that, that uh, we're really excited about it. We are big fans of, of world builders on this podcast. So yeah. Awesome. That's great. Did you well first I have to ask you, how's the road to Tinue? The road how is the road to Tinue? What am, is there do I is there an answer from the books that I'm that I'm forgetting? In the books all it says is that it's slang like what's up or how's it going? They don't say what's up in the book, obviously, but it's well it's well traveled. Okay. That's good. That's a good answer. Yeah. Well traveled. <laughs> It's it's fun asking my guests. Is that how you say Tinue? I never know how to say any of the names in Pat's books. This is how I say Tinue. <laughs> okay, I like it. Um, I think... how do you say the city? How do you say the city that starts with the T? 
Can the, you? The, no, no, uh, tar-bean? it's like tar, tarbine or tarbian. I say, I say it tarbean, but tar-bean. I think I'm probably in. I heard somebody say tarbian once, which was terrible. Yeah. I did tar-bean, not like that. Tarbean, tarbean, yeah. So, I kind of like tarbean. Like it sounds almost um, like Middle Eastern. So what I'm doing right now is I have my uh, my tenth edition with me my my mm-hmm. anyways i've got that and it's got the <laughs> pronunciation guide in the back Ooh. Yeah. oh all right we're gonna get some we're gonna get some answers here so we've got tar like tar and then we've got ian tarbian yeah tarbian okay all right tarbian so, my bad does it have none of the above does it say tinue I'm going to say I'm correct on that one. <laughs> I think you own it at this point. <laughs> People will have a hard time arguing with me about it. Exactly. <laughs> so which came first, the series or Pat? Um, so I was aware of Name of the Wind when I met Pat, but I think even more than name of the wind i think i sort of knew who pat was just because like he's such a he's such a weirdo like he's got this big beard and like he's very iconic and he, he's like he's always like looks like a homeless person when he goes to these conventions so he kind of stands out and like um I, but i hadn't read i hadn't read name of the wind when i met i'm almost sure i hadn't read name of the wind when i met pat but i was aware of i think i actually owned it like someone had given it to me as a gift and i knew that it was a really good fantasy book and people were really excited about it and it had great buzz and all of that. And it was like one of those things of like, I'll get to this someday. And uh, it's a, actually a very funny story of how I met Pat, which is um, – so we have this mutual friend, Mikey Newman, um, who used to make the um, – uh, he used to work at Gearbox, and he made the Borderlands games. And he's a, a, great, uh, a great writer, very funny. And uh, Mikey teaches people how to play card games at PAX every year and like – a hotel lobby and he just goes on Twitter and he's like, Hey, we're playing uh, Pinochle in the uh, hotel lobby at PAX. And so I saw that on Twitter and I was like, all right, I'll go, I'll go see what Mikey's up to. And I went down to the, the hotel lobby and like at these conventions, sometimes the hotels that everyone stays at the lobby is just like, it just becomes like the place where the convention go. Like everyone just hangs out there all hours of the night. So it becomes the like market center or something like mm-hmm. that. So I had to find like Mikey, and there's Mikey and Pat and maybe some folks from Penny Arcade or something. And they're all sitting and playing Pinochle. And I kind of started chatting with everyone. And then all of a sudden, um, a guy comes up to the table and he's like really shy. And he's like, uh, are you Max Temkin? Do you make Cards Against Humanity? And I was really surprised because I'm not a recognizable. I think people know what Cards is, but I'm not a recognizable person. Like I, I don't, uh, no one knows what I look like. I don't think people know my name, but like I don't get stopped and asked for autographs or things like that. So I was very, I was like really surprised. And I, I was like, I was like, yeah. And they're like, Oh, can I, can I get your autograph? And they're like, had a copy of cards or they, no, they had a card with one cards against humanity card with them. And I was like, yeah, I'll I'll get your autograph, give you an autograph. And you know, I didn't have a pen. So like Pat lent me a pen and I signed the card and they went off and we went back to talking and like a minute later, someone, someone else came up and said, Oh, are you, are you max? Do you make cards against humanity? And it happened like again and again and again. And I was starting to feel like the coolest person in the world. And I was like, maybe it was like I was on a panel and people recognize me now. <laughs> or like, I was like, I don't know what is going on here. But I was like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. And then sure enough, I finished hanging out with Pat, you know, an hour later. And I went off to see who else was in the lobby. And all my coworkers from Cards were sitting like right around the corner. And anyone who would walk by, they would give them a Cards Against Humanity <laughs> card and say, hey, go t- that's Max. He makes Cards Against Humanity. Go have him sign it just to drive me crazy. <laughs> So, but anyway, fast forward to like a couple weeks later and Pat emailed me and he said, hey, I, re- you know, enjoyed talking with you at, at uh, PAX and I can tell that, you know, you're a big celebrity like me and people <laughs> are always stopping you and asking you for autographs. And uh, if you're going to be at Gen Con, which is this other nerd convention, uh, we, we do this like um, dungeon, dungeon crawl run, this like uh, LARP uh, dungeon thing. The true dungeons. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, we do this, like, True Dungeon run every year, and it's, like, private. It's, like, just for the celebs. And, uh, you know, I can tell it must be really hard for you to go to True Dungeon because <laughs> people stop and ask for your autograph all the time. So you should, like, come with come with me and Will Wheaton to, like, the, like, celeb, <laughs> like, True Dungeon run. And I was, like, and I and I was, like, I, and I debated. I was, like, should I tell Pat that, I like, that actually doesn't happen to me? And I just wrote back. I was, like, nah, yeah, I'll go with you guys. That sounds pretty fun. <laughs> and then we've been friends ever since. So that's how we met. 
it's funny. I was I was just talking to a, my a friend, my friend Merwin, the other day about um about this because like it, we were we were talking about the topic of like what do you do if you like you're at a convention or you're at somewhere and there's like you know oh, like that's my hero or that's like a guy I really want to meet and uh, I don't know like a lot of the best like if it's if it's meant to be like if if you're gonna you know if if it's gonna happen like sometimes it's just like just play it cool just act like you're supposed to be there you know don't like I did you know like when I first met Pat like I think it I think it definitely helped that. I didn't go up to him and say, oh, Mr. Rothfuss, I'm a huge fan of your books. I, you know, I was just like, hey, what, what's up, man? How are you? And, you know, I just pretended like I was supposed to be there. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, it, it just eventually we actually got to know each other and then we became friends. Aww. That's good advice. Just act yeah. like you're supposed to be there. Yeah. I've, uh, I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. He is, uh, Pat is, Pat is such a, a, a Pat's an incredibly wonderful guy he's friendly to everyone that he meets and so interested in everyone that to, that he meets to a fault so like if we if i am with pat and we try to go somewhere and it's at a convention or whatever and he gets recognized he'll stop and talk to every person and give people hugs and sign their stuff and I, i'm like and i'm like pat like come on man like just tell these people you're 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 busy and like he can't do it like he's like he's like an empathetic person it's like why I think it's good that Pat lives in a small town because I, I I think his I, I literally think his heart would burst if he was like in the mix of a big city all the time. It's just like too many people and you know he would he'll like stop and help people on the street and help an, help an old lady cross the street with her groceries <laughs> or whatever like you know he'd just it would be he'd like never write another word in his life. <laughs> well, I know that he's also he is a busy guy though. So if I saw him like walking down a hallway at a con, I wouldn't want to bother him. Yeah. Yeah, Pat has that story of like that he went and saw waiting was it I think it was waiting for Godot with Patrick Stewart and mm-hmm. um uh was it Ian McCallan? I think so. I, and um afterwards um there was a signing uh, or not not a signing but like an appearance where Patrick Stewart would like come out the back of the theater and say hi to people. And he he thought about it for a minute. He's like, oh man, like Patrick Stewart, like that's one of my heroes, and I, like I would give anything to meet that guy. And he's like, should I go back there and like get a signature? And then he was like, you know, the nicest thing I could do for Patrick Stewart tonight is just not to use that five minutes of his life. Mm-hmm. And maybe if it's meant to be, like maybe I'll find myself at a at a you know I'll find myself at a party with him or you know in a, in a room with him in the future. Yeah. Um, so there's there's definitely there's definitely something to that. But Pat's also like he's so accessible. Like that guy. Like if you ever in the if you ever I, I don't know where you're recording from, but if you ever like in a convention that he does or whatever, like you can always like go to like his panels and signings and stuff. Like he's so generous with people, and he's 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 like he really like he really does make a connection with everyone who goes to get their book signed and and talks to everyone. And it's pretty amazing to see because I do I do like you know if I do those events I do like three minutes and then I'm like no I'm out I don't have this kind of I don't have this kind of energy like I don't want to deal with people yeah I uh, I live in Japan so whoa really yeah what Ch- what city in Japan Sapporo up north Sapporo. in Hokkaido that's uh, very cool yeah I went uh I did my first Japan trip um about a year ago and it was it was I want to go back so badly it was amazing well, if you come back before July, come to Sapporo and I can show you around a little bit. Awesome. <laughs> What's the food like in Sapporo? Uh, I know this isn't on topic for the podcast, but I'm just curious. <laughs> That's fine. Um, the the thing Sapporo is famous for is soup curry. Soup curry? That sounds so good. Yeah, so Japanese curry is different than Indian curry. Like, the idea mm-hmm. is the same, but it's different. And then, yeah, the they've made a soup curry, and it's it's people rave about it. I'm not wow. a huge soup fan, so it's a little bit wasted on me, but it's, it's all right from what I've had. But, yeah, it's good, according to all... People who know about these things, it's good. According, also, according to all, su- all soup reports? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, the seafood. Like, seafood everywhere. I guess snow crab. Crab is really... Oh, my God. It's a big thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the seafood in Japan, it's, like, unfair having to come back to Chicago and eat seafood now. Like, it's just not the same. I can't even imagine living in the middle of the country and eating seafood. Like, I went to visit my my folks moved to Iowa a while ago, mm-hmm. and I went to visit them, and I was afraid. Like, I looked at the tiny seafood section at the store, and I'm like, what even is this? How old is this? I don't even... I don't... <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's like generally like I, I try not to eat like I, I'm pretty suspicious of seafood if it's in like a landlocked state. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, but like th- like, oh, my God, like going to the um, the the fish market in Tokyo was like that was one of the most amazing food experiences of my life. I, I like I didn't realize what how good seafood could be. Did you buy like a, a live fish and then go and eat it? No, that was a little too metal for us, but we did, <laughs> we went to some, uh, but we basically just like hung out in the outer market and like, you can just go into all these sushi places and eat things like mm-hmm. probably like one of the other best things, like if, if you, if you're, I don't know if you wind up back in Tokyo before you leave, but there's, um, in the like outer market, there's these, uh, Tamago vendors mm-hmm. and they make like skewers. And that's probably one of the best things I've ever eaten in my entire life. One of the best experiences I had was actually in Korea where I lived before I came here and I went to a, a crab festival and oh, yeah, that you just, so good. you go and you pick out your crab and then you go to the shop and they cook it for you and you eat it and it's, it's not that even sounds, fair. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Also, yeah, if you, I don't know if you like Korean food, but going to Korea for a, for a food trip is amazing too. I love Korean okay. food. Yeah, it's on my list before uh, it gets destroyed in a nuclear war with President Trump. Oh, oh sad. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be an interesting rule if Pat and I bring the podcast back. Is like I'm thinking of instituting a no politics rule because otherwise I think we I think we might just talk about politics the whole time. Like we <laughs> might not talk about anything. Like we're I think Pat and I are both. It's actually like a reason we haven't done the podcast in a year, I think, is like I just spend all day just being mad and reading Twitter and, you know, things I can't control. Right. Well, you could do like uh, you guys did a live show once and I think you had like a three politics remarks allowed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But then we bl- we flagrantly. Ab- yeah, it was during the election. And I think yeah. I said in that. If I remember correctly, I said something to the effect of Donald Trump is never going to be president and no one needs to worry about this election and it's a safe, you know, uh, Hillary's got this. So that wound up being wrong. So now I try not to make predictions about politics. I have to say one of the things you said during that about Hillary's campaign and about mm-hmm. how the reason she was successful was because she just did it differently and people are holding it against her, but it's not her fault that she actually did it differently and kind of smarter yeah. And it actually it really it changed my opinion on her. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I have a revised statement though, which is I th- I mean this is we're so off topic for the for the po- <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> we're just talking about we're just talking about street food and politics, which are like my two the two things I love in life. But uh I, I you know, I think like the way that Hillary won, which was like consolidating power in the Democratic Party and and she was attacked for that and I do think maybe some of those attacks it was a mix of I don't know. You know, listen, she won. So how much can you say about it? But I think the problem was the way that she won the primary. It deprived her campaign of the infrastructure that she really needed to win the general election. Mm -hmm. So if she had really had to battle that out in a a hot primary with lots of candidates and uh, good ideas back and forth, you know, like in 2008, she would have had these really robust organizations in every state. And you wouldn't have heard this thing of like Hillary never went to Wisconsin because there would have been a Wisconsin campaign, an Iowa campaign, you know, all these states that we – all these critical states that we wound up losing. And the way that there was just this sort of like she sucked all the air out of the room and, and, and consolidated power in the party, it, it, it denied us the opportunity to have like really robust local organizations. So I'm still – you know, listen, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I'm, I'm still uh, bummed about that. Yeah. It will get better, right? Yeah. <laughs> I I think it I think it's I think it's going to have to and I'm also really encouraged by you know every Tuesday there's these like special elections mm-hmm. and uh, we just picked up in uh, Pat's state of Wisconsin a plus 36 Trump seat in um western uh, the western side of Wisconsin which is uh, deep red nice. so that's a seat that went 36 points uh, net for Trump and now um elected a democratic uh, state uh, congressman in a special election so that's that's, that's awesome. very exciting <laughs> Back to Pat, speaking of right. Wisconsin, the Roth fans are dying to know, will Pat's yes. office ever be – yes, is there a plan? Can you oh, share Oh, boy. Date? Well, so here's the situation with that. There is a plan, and every we, we've been talking about it um, – uh, we actually talked about doing it for World Builders this year as like a special thing. But So basically the deal is like when I went to Pat's uh, house, my girlfriend Veronica and I went and visited him a few years ago, and – there's a room in his house that was closed and it's like 
this is daddy's office and no one's allowed in this office. And I was like, what's in there? And he's like, you don't want to know. It's really scary. <laughs> and uh, then we did that World Builders reward where it's like Max will like clean Pat's office. Right. But the problem is Pat has moved out of that office. Uh-huh. And it's like a kid's room now. So, well, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. So one idea could be I could still clean the office, but we'd turn basically we'd like empty it out and turn it into a really great kid's room with like, you know, all this cool, you know, Lego stuff and cool toys and like, you know, like desks for the kids to work at and stuff like that. Or Pat has this other house now where he works at and like in the neighborhood. So he basically like walks down the block to a different house on the block and works there, which is crazy (laughs) to me, but that's how he set it up. And I could go into the workhouse and like gut his office and like bring in a bunch of furniture and, you know, do a whole redesign in there. My question is, is the kids' room, is it still full of Pat's stuff? Well, I don't know. I haven't been back since, so I have to, and I wasn't allowed in there last time, so I'd have to go investigate, I'd have to go investigate myself. But I think it's more true to the spirit of the challenge to go, to actually clean up Pat's office. Absolutely. Even though, but it's not the same space. Right. But I don't think the space is what people care about as much. Right. It's more of the comedy of Pat being really like, I just have this image of that. I'll pull up with a big construction dumpster <laughs> and start throwing all Pat stuff in there and he'll just be really upset. How funny would that be? It'd be pretty great. I'm, I'm imagining multiple video, basically like a live TV kind of thing. Reality yes, show. It, That's it. Reality yes, show. We gotta, yeah, we got it. Yes, exactly. Like, uh, we'll do like, a um, uh, like a home renovation show. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys can even have like a reaction booth where you go in and you can just see him crying and you laughing and. Oh my God! I'm looking at these soup pictures of soup curry. Hokkaido soup. <laughs> I googled Hokkaido soup curry and I'm looking at pictures right now and I'm drooling. This looks so good. It's. Oh my God. There's a place called Okushiba Shoten. Have you been there? Is that the one in uh, JR Tower? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm looking at pictures. I'm looking at Instagram pictures of this of this soup right now. <laughs> it looks so good. And you know, it's only good in Hokkaido. So Okay. You've got to come well, here to eat it. All right. I'm going to I'm going to look at tickets. The soup is <laughs> the soup is calling to me. <laughs> Oh my god, look at this place. It's called Kitaro. Probably. It's in Minamiku. Okay, yeah. And there's oh so many god. different kinds, too. Like, there's your plain soup curry, or you can get cheese, or spicy, or seafood. Oh, this looks so good. Personally, I like the fall soup curry. Like, if I have to eat soup curry, I like the fall version that has, like, some <laughs> pumpkin in it. Give me some pumpkin. Ooh, okay. Okay. See some like lotus flower. Mm-hmm. You get like a like a like a soft boiled egg. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, looks so good. <laughs> do you do you consume alcohol? I drink occasionally, but now that I'm like the older I get, the the less that I drink really. Okay. Like I feel like I like I have like one glass of white wine and I get sleepy and you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's like that kind of a thing. Another one of the things that Hokkaido's famous fair famous for is the Sapporo beer factory. Right. Right. And right. then also the whiskey. We've got a couple whiskey distilleries. Ooh. I do love Japanese whiskey is so good. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I like a I like a Sapporo beer. That's a good beer. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The Sapporo Beer Factory has tours all the time. You can go in there. You can like taste a hop. See, I feel like it was such a mistake that I didn't. I, I went. I only went like south of Tokyo, basically, and now I need to go back and see the whole north side of the country. You see, that's the thing that most people do their first time. Like a first time, yeah. go, go to Tokyo, go to Osaka, enjoy that whole thing. Your second time, either go further south down to Okinawa, which is completely different, or mm-hmm. yeah, come up north. Hit, you can hit Aomori and get some fresh fruit, or you can come up here Ooh. to Hokkaido and just. Enjoy, enjoy. The nature that's left in Japan is mostly up here too. So, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We went to we went to um um a hot springs town called Hakone, mm-hmm. and it was kind of there was like it was one of the like like I mean Tokyo's there's like not I mean there's like parks but there's not you don't really see a lot of nature mm-hmm. and it was it was unbelievable like just seeing those like it, you know Japanese mountainsides like mm-hmm. I was like the whole time I was there I was like this looks like an anime. <laughs> It is, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
one of my favorite memories is we had gone to a um abandoned theme park in the middle of winter and that was fun but then afterwards we went to this tiny tiny onsen like it had one pool that was divided with a like a a metal fence so you couldn't see the boys and girls and it was on the side of a mountain and you just you sat in the water and it was hot water and it had a special kind of clay mud that was extra good for your skin and you looked out and it was snowing and you could see the forest and the mountain and you couldn't hear anything we were the only people there it was that sounds that sounds unbelievable mhm mhm it is it's so great i could i could talk about japan for a long time but <laughs> I don't know if that's what the the Roth fans, the Tinue heads. I don't think I actually have anybody who calls themselves a Tinue head. I kind of like the Roth fans. That's pretty good. Yeah, is it? I I think I might have come up with that, but it's my favorite Roth fans. We are Roth fans, and we are here yeah. to rock your world. Sounds like everyone should have like a foam finger. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to make a joke from the books, but I got nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember foam, giant foam fingers figuring in heavily into the books. <laughs> well, there's not a lot of cheerleaders. There's not so much organized sports. I mean, there's tack, but it's not the same. Yeah. Are there giant foam fingers at uh, chess tournaments? Oh, yeah, but they'd have to be really quiet, right? Right. So, <laughs> you know who who would be great as an audience then? The ADEM. There. It's all tied right. together. It's okay now. Yeah. <laughs> What makes the King Killer Chronicles special to you? Ooh, what a good um that's a great question. Well, it push so for, just for me as a reader, it kind of pushes my buttons in a lot of different ways. Um so the first thing is, do you know about this this idea of um it's called the mice quotient? Mhm. So this is something I learned about from from Mary Robinette Kowal. And it's this idea that stories, there's like four factors in a story, which are um, M-I-C-E, milieu, idea, character, and event. And um, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, I'm a milieu reader. Like, that's the one that I like the most. And milieu is like the texture of the world. It's like, how does it feel like to be in that world? And like, you know, all the, all the I don't know, just the feeling of it and um, how well thought out is everything. Like, uh, something that really bugs me is like, if the world feels so small that only the protagonist is in it, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think like Star Wars does that, right? Like Star Wars has this really cool milieu, but then you get the feeling that like the only people in the universe are the Skywalker family. Right. And they and it's are like, messing it up. Exactly. But it's like, you know, you're, ah, you're kind of screwing it up. Like it doesn't feel like it's like a real universe to me, but man, Pat's books just have such a, feel, a sense of milieu. I mean, they just have such a, a setting. The world feels so real and it's like things, happen that don't have to do with growth like the world keeps going <laughs> like it's just so it just that's the hook for me and um you know for me that's what makes it a page turner is like i just want to see more about this world like when he was traveling and seeing different parts of the world mm-hmm. in um uh, the second book that was like I, that really I, I just was riveted like i think i skipped work i think i didn't even go into work i was like <laughs> i just want to read the like i only want to read this book until i until i discover everything that there is to discover about this world um, so that's factor number one. Factor number two is I, I just like good writing. And, you know, I think it's um, I hope it's not mean to say, but like I think most fan like I read a lot of fantasy and sci fi and I like I enjoy it, but it's not good writing. So a lot of times fantasy and sci fi is mediocre writing and like it gets a pass because people are like, oh, it's got wizards. So I'm not going <laughs> to like, you know, I'm not going to like look too closely at like is the writing high quality. And Pat is such a good writer, and it's I think it's clear like the min, you know what, what it's like that from that first paragraph right a silence of three parts mm-hmm. and you're like okay like this is not something I've read in a fantasy book today you know right it's like like uh, there's just um, you know there's like uh, Pat uh, Pat's book that he, his Pat's favorite book is um, the the Peter Beale book Last the Last Unicorn you know, the, the Last Unicorn right and like that has the same tone to me of like really considerate writing I think Brandon Sanderson has that tone sometimes of like, he's just, you just, the joy of a well-constructed sentence. Um, but that really, I mean, sometimes I do, you just stop when you're reading Pat and he's got this 
some sentence and you're just like, Forget you. that's so good. Like, <laughs> it's just like, so it's just so it's like, it's like rich in your mouth. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, mm, like I just, I have to like stop. I'm like, Oh, that's so good. And I love when you, when you get those moments. Um, and, um, let's see, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like, of other, uh, other things I think are special. The, uh, I mean, another thing is like, I think the books are really, I think they're really funny and surprising. And I like that. Cause like, as you know, they defy convention and they, they play with your expectations in a really pleasant way. Um, you know, they're rangy, they can be sad and, and emotional and moving, but like, just when you think you figured it out and you know what we're doing here, there's like something that challenges your perceptions, which I love. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing is I think people, um, I think Pat gets some shit for that actually. Cause like from talking to him, I get the feeling that like, so like the whole like Ademre thing and the um uh like going to, to to hunt the bandits like oh going to the Fey like all those different adventures and the basically the second half of um uh, the second book mm-hmm. people hate I guess a lot of readers really hated that stuff and they were like just get back to Quoth's story. This is and Quoth's story. That's how I feel. I'm like that's the fun. I'm like that's what I'm here for. Is like you know it's like that's a story right? Is like you have a character. And then you like chase them up a tree and then you throw apples at them and you see how they <laughs> and then you see how they react. And I'm like, you know, people like don't be mad at Pat because he's like do, he's like telling a good story. Like you got to get the guy up a tree and throw apples at him. That's the whole that's storytelling. And, uh, you know, it's probably a sign. I mean, one one thing is maybe it's a sign of how much people how good of a character Quoth is and how much you want to empathize with him, even though he's kind of a douche sometimes. Um <laughs> And he's he's really challenging. You know, he's not a great protect. He's not a perfect protect. He's not Harry Potter, right? He's like <laughs> he's like a really flawed guy. And sometimes you're like, come on, man, like don't be an asshole or 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 you know don't do this really irresponsible thing. So he's not always easy to love, but nonetheless, like the way he's written, it's just like you just are so invested in him. Like anything that puts him in jeopardy or sidetracks him or is any kind of distraction, like as the reader, you're just like, no, don't hurt, don't hurt both. <laughs> Don't 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 ruin his shirt. He only has two. Exactly. One of the problems a lot of people have when they're trying to share the book to their friends is explaining what it's about. Yeah. If you had to make an elevator pitch to somebody about this book, what would you say? <sighs> That's a tough, really interesting you know, it's weird. I'm just thinking of like, I must have recommended this book to people, but you know, what's weird is like everyone, it's kind of like, well, I've, I've never recommended Harry Potter because everyone kind of knows what Harry Potter is. And like, you know, I think in my circles, like, I think I get, feel like people just know what, what, um, King killer Chronicles are. I, I guess. So how would I pitch it? I would say it's, um, it's a, it's a fantasy story in a, in a really novel world. And, it is genre defying and it tells the story of this um, really precocious kid who destroys the world. And, (laughs) and there's like, there's like, you know, I think there's all these different things to get excited about in the, in the books. Like, you know, obviously like when he gets to the university is like a huge moment and there's, you know, it kind of does have a a Hogwartsy feel of getting to see the school and the teachers and his friends and all of that. There and then there's also the element of oh another okay here's another huge elevator pitch for the books which is the ma- the system of magic mm-hmm. like a completely mechanical system of magic that's like internally consistent and makes sense with every aspect of the world is kind of a miracle it's not really something I've seen pulled off this well ever and it's worth reading you know for some readers it's worth reading just for that that it's like he made like a physicalist magical system that makes complete sense. And then because it's such a well-fleshed-out system and it makes sense, it's like he can do surprising things with it, right? He can, like, Pat can actually have clever things happen with the magic where you're like, that's really clever. (laughs) Um, You know, I was reading, and I don't know if it was an interview or if it was, like, an AMA-type thing where he said there's at least, like, six to eight different kinds of magic in the books mm-hmm. and I just think it's so great because when you stop and you think about it you're like oh yeah because like it's easy to say well there's naming and then there's sympathy right but you keep going and you're like well and then there's sigildry 
Right, right. It's the runes. It's like, but you know what's it's cool about that is it almost feels like how we have like science in um, how science is taught in the States where it's like, okay, well, you've got like biology, chemistry, math, you know, whatever, um, physics, but it's all the same system. It's like you kind of can't, you know, chemistry doesn't work without physics and physics doesn't work without math. You know, it's, it's all, it's all an interrelated system. You know, there's this idea in philosophy of, I wish I remember who said this, but, uh, that, uh, um, mathematics is the universe is the language that God wrote the universe in. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like a, an interesting, I you get that feeling from learning about all these different magic classes and schools in Pat's books of like, yeah, they all relate to each other. Like there's like sigils on the, on the sympathy things that, that changes how they work and all of that. So there is like, but, but underlying it, there are like laws of nature that make everything make sense. Well, yeah, but then there's some things that seem like straight up magic too. Like I can, I can see the connection between sympathy and sigildry and alchemy. Like those I'll drive. I can learn those at school, but like naming, well, naming is the – what's fun is that that's the – that's but see, that's what I mean of like every time you think you've got it figured out, there's like a great twist mm-hmm. of like the magic is introduced as this physical system where everything makes sense. But, you know, but then – and so it's kind of – it's um, I don't know. It's like almost like, you know, maybe Harry Potter magic or something like that where it's like, okay, it's like a thing that's like well understood, taught in schools. We know all the rules. But then that you learn that there's like deep magic that like doesn't make sense to everyone and it is kind of spiritual and that functions more like magic in a traditional fantasy novel, mm-hmm. but two people who already live in a magical universe, which is crazy. There's so many layers there <laughs> and there's like skeptics. There's like people who don't believe in it and, and there's philosoph- different takes and philosophies on it and it's not well understood. Like that is super exciting to me. That's yeah. one of those moments of like when you start connecting that and you're like, okay, this is really cool. <laughs> Be careful about making too many connections. You're going to end up like one of us tinfoil hat wearers with just a room with the papers all over the walls and strings and like, it's all connected. Can I tell you that my favorite conspiracy theory? Well, I, there's a one, there's a couple of things in the books that drive me crazy. You should tell, I'm actually curious what you, what you could tell me what the fan theories are. What is up with the, the, cafe the tree mm-hmm. what's the deal i was so confused why is that in the book what is the meaning of that what is that what does it mean i don't get it okay well first the cafe is not the tree any more than a king sitting on the throne is the throne okay yeah that's interesting so is it a demigod or a spirit or there's a couple of theories um yeah so the Cathay character has actually been around for a long, long time. There's uh-huh. people who played um, basically Temerant D&D with Pat in college who met the Cathay. Whoa, okay. Yeah, so they know more than we do Okay. about this character. One of the big theories is that he, the Cathay, is, pro- uh, is possibly... Selios? Okay. He's, uh, or La- some even say Lonre or Lyra, like somebody okay. from the Creation War kind of time. Okay. But it's not a Chandrian. Like, that was also my other thought is, like, maybe it's, like, it... so, like, I'm also confused as to whether it's really omniscient or not. Because if the tree is omniscient, that screws up all of Pat's, like, I don't know, like, all the mythology, right? A little bit? How? Well, because, like... If there's, like, omniscience, I might be overthinking this, but if there's, like, a character that knows for sure what's going to happen in the future, then the character's choices don't matter because they're already made. But that, but the thing about the Cathay is that their choices don't matter because they're trapped in a tree killing butterflies. Interesting. Right? Yeah, that and... was my that was my other thought was that maybe it was, I, I don't know, that it was, like, that it was some sort of, trick or illusion or related to the Chandrian or like something where it was like once it be, once I was started getting into the the like oh it was like omniscient and had I was like this seems suspicious to me like there's like something more, there's definitely more to this than is revealed in the book well of course there's more to it there's always more to it there's more to the stew that the roux made for dinner everything is layers within layers in these books right 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 
but like even on your most basic level it's it's part cassandra part trickster god okay because i absolutely believe that the cathay knows everything or can see can see everything okay right and but it it tells it in such a way as to be hurtful that's why they're like it's poison like just the way that Valurian and the way that Bast react when they find out that he has had contact with it right, makes me think that it's not fake. It's not like okay, an illusion or anything. Okay. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah, I do. I remember that. Yeah, that, I forgot about that, that Bast, there's a whole thing where Bast also knows the Cathay. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then I, there's a crazy theory that there's that chest that can't be opened mm-hmm. that might be made of that tree. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some people think that the thrice-locked chest in Kvoth's room is made from the tree that the uh, Cathay is in. But that is crazy land, because I'm like, you would have to go in there and kill the Cathay and then take his tree and turn it into wood. Or just kill the tree. Maybe he thought he was killing the Cathay, but he just killed the tree and the Cathay took another form or... He knows that the tree is not the Cathay. Like that line I gave you about the throne, that is something that the Cathay said to him. Because when he oh, first I see, I see. approaches okay. the tree, he's like, I've never spoken to a tree before. And the Cathay makes fun of him and is mean. Oh, right, right, right. Man, I love that you can go. I, I love that whenever you start talking about whatever dumb detail is the one that gets you in Pat's books or whatever. It's like it just, you wind up having these like really <laughs> philosophical <laughs> conversations about that's like free will and you know you start connecting it to other stuff in the books like man that's a that's a that's pretty cool to have put something into the world that people can talk about with with that much depth like there's not a lot of media that i've ever come across in my life that have that have that um i don't know we're like two, two people who've never met each other can start talking about it and have that kind of an interesting conversation or different different reads of it or different takes on it like you know with that kind of depth like it's just cool it's just be it's just a it's like just just good world building like good writing the whole you know good ideas good execution i don't know it's pretty cool don't tell pat i said that i hope pat never listens to this (laughs) i i kind of also hope he never listens to it he can listen to my world builders episode I 100% guarantee you that Pat does not know how to listen to a podcast. So you are in <laughs> rest assured. Yes. Pat, uh, Pat does not know how to write a text message. He reads it. He speaks it into his phone, even if he's in public. I saw him. I've seen him do that. Like, cause I watch his Twitch streams Yeah. and I see him do that. And I'm, yeah, I thought maybe he just doesn't like it. Cause he's got big hands, right? He's got big thumbs. And like yeah, a lot of he, people don't like no, typing. He is 100 years old. That's the problem. <laughs> Pat is a hundred-year-old man, so he doesn't know how to listen to a podcast. I could send it to him, but I won't do that if you don't want. You can send him to him. You're the one who doesn't yeah. want him to say. I will. <laughs> I will po- uh, well, we'll see. I'll post. Uh, I don't want Pat to catch me being publicly nice to him, but uh, I'll. Um, I don't want my fanboying to go to his uh, ego. But I'll, uh, I'll. I'll. I'll put it on Twitter. We'll see if Pat notices. Okay. Well. When the episode comes out. Yeah, I, I did an interview with Nate Taylor in. I don't know. Pat didn't react on Twitter to that, so we'll see. Okay. We'll see if we can, see if we can get him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, his his Twitter followers are my, my target demographic, so if he did oh, retweet cool. me. All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll send a link out when, we, uh, <laughs> uh, when the episode goes up. Do you um, – is there something in the book that's like the Cathay that's your thing that you just like can't stop thinking about or it's like the mystery that you want you want to know? Uh, like other than the Doors of Stone, which I feel like is set up as like, you know, obviously like irresistible. Right. Everybody likes that. Um, well, there's the Lackless box versus the Thrice Locked box, which is really interesting to me. Oh right, they are the thrice locked is the one that's in the meta story, but in in the inn, right? Right. Okay. And then the the lockless box is held by the mayor that his new wife brought. That's right. Right. Although that one, people have also brought up maybe that one is made from the same tree as the tree that the Cathay is in because they both smell lemony. Huh. 
Right. That's right. I remember I saw that like a fan theory of like, well, why, why would you say the wood smells like lemon for both of those? Mm-hmm. Like that's a really specific thing to smell like. That's another thing I really enjoy about about Rothfuss's work is that it's it's got the smell in it. I like it when you get everything in there. I want all yep. my senses to be titillated. Yeah, it's part of what makes like when you go into when you're when you encounter a new setting or you're reading it. It's part. It just like draws you right in. Uh, I I get that from I people could make fun of this a lot in Game of Thrones, like all the food descriptions and the <laughs> meals, but. I, to be honest, I get really into those, and I think it's actually pretty. It, it can be really smart writing, because in a lot of cases, all those like elaborate meal descriptions, they actually tell you a lot about how people live in in the Game of Thrones universe. Because like you know, you could you learn like okay, these people they live on the shore and they eat a lot of like seafood, and you know like I, I don't know, or like these people are really wealthy, so they have lots of um, uh, like uh, meat and processed foods and things like that, and these people are really poor, so they have like you know, staples and dried foods and things like that. Like, I, I love that stuff where there's, like, little sensory information that just help flush out the world and tell you about the characters. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you on that. The other thing that gets me is the angels. It talks oh. about, well, or the the very first Amir were also angels. It was, it talks about... um in Scarpy's story, mm -hmm. right before he's arrested, and he has a list of these people, and he describes them as like, and their wings were made of metal, and their wings were made of bone, and I guess the Emir in general, but I don't know. Yeah, there's like, I also just like, I like that there's an a, a an ambiguous line in, in this world between the mythology and the history. Mm-hmm. And I think it lets Pat hide stuff in the – it's just smart writing that he gets to hide stuff in plain sight that, that later becomes really important. For me, it's – my question is, are these all telling the exact same story and they're just, like, different versions of it? Or are they echoes? Like, is the same story repeating itself? Right. Yeah, and is that is that like, and then there's like, is that the story that Quoth is like cursed to right live to through? repeat? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Is Dena Lyra? Well, we know she's gonna die. And probably. then even within all those like stories within stories within stories, like the whole book is a story within a story. Mm -hmm. So like, why is it told that way? Like like there like we haven't even like I feel like that's another that's like basically another like huge mystery like hanging over the book is what you know what is the purpose of the meta story like where is that going how does it resolve where, where does it i don't know something there's something so cool about that to me to me the meta story is like the fine the actual final chapter like he's gonna finish telling his story is like and then i killed the king and i moved out here at the end and i'm sure it'll be better than that <laughs> <laughs> and then er most most fans believe that after he finishes telling the story he's going to have a con a final confrontation with the emir or the shandrian and in in like present in like present day right that somebody's yeah. going to show up at the waystone inn yeah and things are going to happen at that point but i just had a super sad thought about what if no what if he yeah, just what fully is subsumed by the coat? Ooh. Yeah, the thing, I mean, the sad thing to me is that it it's, is that maybe not everything isn't okay at the end. Like maybe, maybe it like really, it, this guy really did have hubris and there, he really is going to have to pay the price for it. And, um, you know, it's like a broken world and like, the, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope that's not what it is. I hope that I actually really hope that Quoth gets uh, some sort of catharsis at the end. But it, it's just another testament to how to the writing and the storytelling that, like, I plausibly believe that everything might not be okay at the end. My sweet summer child, everything is not going to be all right. You don't think so? We know what kind of story this is going to be. Interesting. And it's, it's setting up to be a tragedy. You don't think there's any possibility that it surprises everyone and has a, has a happy ending at the end? Some, some sort of maybe, – maybe everything isn't fixed in the world, but there's, like – catharsis or redemption for quoth at the end like it's pat like like I, I i i believe it's possible 
Well, anything is possible. Absolutely. Uh, Coat might actually be Denna pretending to be Kvothe. Anything right. is possible. But... Is that a real theory? It's a real theory I just made up. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> I would love for there to be a happy ending at the end when he finishes telling his story and the Chronicler goes on his way and he's in full power, like he's become Kvothe again, fully Kvothe. He's right. embraced himself and somebody comes, one of the Shandrian comes to mess up his day and he smites them down and then he gets the girl, he and Denna just ride off to Fae or whatever. And Bast is there too. I would love that. I mean, it's possible, like, like, Kvothe keeps saying, like, it's a tragedy, it's a tragedy, it's a tragedy. I think Pat even says, like, the story we're hearing is a tragedy, like, when he talks about the books. But I, I part of me suspects that, like, yeah, the story that we're hearing that Kvothe is telling us, the, 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 his biography is a tragedy up until this point. And like you said, that's why I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the meta story, because mm -hmm. who knows how that ends. I hope you're right. If you had a cameo on the show or the movie, Which I who want. would you like to be? What would you like to do? Well, the obvious answer here is one of Kvothe's like friends at the university. Like, like those just seem those are just some of the most appealing scenes in the books. Like, I think that's even like wasn't there a thing where Lin Manuel Miranda was like, yeah, I read that scene and like put something like that in Hamilton or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the story of tonight is based off of one of the chapters of him with There's the. Just... There's just such like you just get a, such a feeling of friendship and camaraderie, and it just makes you feel you know reminds me of how it felt to be in college, and uh, that's that's where I would fit in. But so many reasons that's not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> that's where I would that would be like the most fun place to pop up. Oh, that's nice. I I'm imagining you uh, at the Aeolian playing uh, what's their card game? Oh, not a, I know what you're talking about. Um, corners. Corners. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, it'll be the, the actors playing Kvothe, Will, and Sim, and you playing Corners. Right. right. And you can buy a round for everyone, and it'll be great. There you go. What would your role be in the in the, in the the books? Uh, I would probably be... Well, if I was in the books, I like to imagine that I'd kind of be like Mola, and I could maybe make it to the university and go work in the hospital or fella and work in the archives i'd love to go work in the either one of those would be good for me i know doesn't it make you want to hang out in a library whenever you read about it <laughs> i miss libraries so much like obviously there are libraries in japan but an english a book with library uh, a library with books i can read because i'm a yep. library person by nature anyways yep but if I'm honest with myself, I would probably just be living in some town. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have a very exciting story in these books. Have a wife. Well, have a husband. Have a kid. <laughs> just be like a normal person who lives in the world. Yeah. Maybe I'd live in Modig. That sounds like a nice place. They got sexy ladies up there. I don't think I'd be very good, Adam, because I hate moving, so... Oh, it's it's a horror, it's an awful way of life. I wouldn't last five minutes there. <laughs> a lot of people say they'd like to be Rue, but I think it's mostly people who haven't had to live with persecution. Right. They're like, no, I love music. I'd totally be a Rue, and I'm like, you can be a musician without being hated by everyone. I'm like, but I want to live in a wagon, and I'm like, okay. It does seem it does have a kind of like a running away to join the circus kind of a, a vibe to it, which I which I really like. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but also, like, Pat, anything Pat writes, I think he could write it. Like, that's the thing with Pat as an author, that I think that's a really smart observation of, like, people aren't really thinking about the angle of prosecution, of, like, mm -hmm. Pat can write, he can have those layers, and he, that that's what being a good writer is, is that you can have all those layers in there, but yet still portray it with such a, you know, because it's from Kvothe's point of view, and he's a kid, and they're happy memories, and he can portray it from such a... a he can make it sound so good that you're like, yes, I want that. Mm -hmm. When, you know, if you thought about it too hard, you'd be like, 
Yeah, it'd be a pretty hard way of life. Yeah. Well, most most fantasy books, if they have traveling musicians like the Rue, they're usually like happy people and they're brightly dressed and they have this very free lifestyle and they kind of gloss over the bad parts. Even when they say it's like, oh, well, every they're, they're th- the village people think we're thieves and they're mean to us, and that's usually the end of it. Nobody really explores, like, the psychological aspect right, right. of that. Right, He does do some interesting stuff, though, exploring the psychological, the, the mental illness bits, like with Ari. Oh, yeah. I, no, so I actually haven't read the, um, uh, the Ori book. I have it. What, what, I can't I'm, I'm blanking on the name. The Slow Regard of Silent Things? Yes, yeah, Slow Regard. I haven't read Slow Regard, and I know that I would love it because I like, um, um, I even, I like, I, I sort of know the writing style of it, and I'm, I'm like, I like sit on my bookshelf and I look at it all the time, and I'm like, I'm so excited to read this, but I'm like saving it for, I don't know what I'm saving it for. But I guess my problem is if I read that, then there's no more King Killer Chronicles to read. Well, have you read The Lightning Tree? The Lightning Tree. It's the short, well, the novella about Bast? Yes, yes, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Have you read Old Holly? Old Holly. Yes, I'm putting these into Google while we talk. Patrick <laughs> Rothfuss. No. There you go, you see? There's, there's a more. whole, there's a whole is little it called, thing. Is it, something, is it called How Old Holly Came to Be? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so there's other companion stories out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I st- I'm not gonna. I'm. Pro- I, I think I'm gonna save Slower Garden till. I guess maybe what I have in my head is that when um, when Doors of Stone is like announced, <laughs> then I can read it. When the you know when I know when it's coming out, then I'll read Slower Guard, and then it, it'll be like more more King Killer on the horizon. But who knows when that thing is coming out? So I'm gonna save it. Okay, all right, that's fair. Although I'll say that uh, I find it to be highly rereadable. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Like it has like it kind of has a storybook feeling, like something you could revisit. Yeah. Yeah. And the art is amazing. I'm a big fan of Nate Taylor, and yeah, the art's just great. Even if you don't look at the, don't read the words, you just look at the pictures. Yeah, I've seen the like the illustration style in it. It's really gorgeous. Uh, any any uh, any other uh, Pat uh, uh, questions or uh, gossip I can uh, answer for you? Happy to tell well, off. Well, do you have any more gossip? I mean, you talk to him more than I do. Nothing that comes to mind that's like, see, like, I wish he was, a, like, Pat's like, uh, let's see, he makes his own mead. Nice. And I had it, and it was really good. <gasps> wow. When we went to uh, when we went to Wisconsin, we 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 had uh, we had mead and played a early prototype of uh, Tack. It was really fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have any. I don't. He's like it, like Pat's are such a good dude. Like there's no like uh, as far as I know, there's no like uh, weird uh, no weird gossip about that I could tell you about him. We could start a rumor about him. I mean, all the best rumors. Are... It would have to be one of those rumors of like. Um, like a Bill Murray, like Pat walked into a bar and like started like bartending and was like, if you tell anyone, they'll never believe you and then walk back out. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, he, he walked over to a party and made himself a sandwich and fell asleep on the couch and then left. That one might have happened. <laughs> well, you see, there we go. Yeah, that sounds pl- <laughs> that sounds very plausible. Yeah, I mean, you you dropped the unattend or well the backstage with with Patrick Rothfuss, so that's that's big news. Yeah, that's I mean, you know, the issue the the mainly the issue has just been timing of like my you know we both have tough schedules and Pat's been traveling a lot because he's working on the deal for his show, so he's like back and forth like going to um, L.A. all the time. But I think like like I think what I really want to do is get the other issue is like okay so when the when we were doing the show it never came out regularly and you know for if you're trying to like pick up an audience and like make something work like you really do need that regularity of schedule Mm -hmm. and 
it just it just kills you if you if people can't ever get into a groove with the with the schedule. So I kind of put my foot down and said, if we're going to do this, we've got to like pick a day and record at the same time every day, and uh, or record at the same time every week, and you know get the episode out on time and hire an editor and a producer to like help get it done. So we've kind of figured all that stuff out. We have like a recording time, so I think I'm uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Okay, well we're all looking forward to it. So what would you say is the biggest difference between you two that is also a good part of your friendship? Uh, that's interesting. Um, I think Pat is, um, I think Pat is very open to wonder and positivity in a way that I, I am not, or I just don't care about. So I think if people are really excited about something or it's cool or whatever, like Pat wants it to be true or he wants to let it into his heart and he just does. And to me, I'm like too much of a skeptic and I'm, I'm just like, these people are idiots. Like I can't, you know, like, like, uh, like it took me a really long time to get into uh, Hamilton. Pat was like, Pat was bonkers for Hamilton, like long before he knew Lin-Manuel Miranda or anything like that. Right. He was just a, he was talking about Hamilton like every episode of the podcast, like <laughs> from the minute he heard about it, it, he was on that hype train so early and he was like, this is so cool. Everyone loves it. And I was like, I don't know, man, it sounds lame. It's like about the, you know, founding fathers. It's a musical. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to hear about it. It's popular. Everyone likes it. I don't want to <laughs> hear about it. And then it like took me like a year to go see it and be like, okay, this is really good and come around on it. But like, that's all, that's kind of always our dynamic is like, Pat is always, Pat is always like, this very like earnest engagement with this stuff. And then I'm, I'm, I'm always like skeptical. I'm like too, I'm like too, like, I don't want to, I don't ever want to have my heart broken. So I never want to like anything. And, uh, in case, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It doesn't live up to my expectations. Right. If you could introduce one thing to him, since he's introduced these things to you, like he gets excited about things. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing that you were excited about that you could introduce to him. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm always, I love technology and I'm always looking for technology to like solve problems in my life. Like I'm, I'm putting like smart light switches in my house. So it's like slightly more efficient for me to like turn the lights off at night with my phone. <laughs> Like, I love that kind of, I'm just a nerd for that kind of stuff. And I love that kind of stuff. And Pat is like an anti-technologist. Like, he's just like suspicious of technology. And, you know, I, I think a lot of times he's right. So, like, I think to the extent that he was like really late to join Twitter and he's like been pretty restrained on Twitter, especially recently. And I think that probably makes him a happier person. But, um, you know, just for the sake of his like writing and his process and stuff like that, like, I do wish I could like share share all of my like like technology you know tricks and hacks and stuff okay that's nice like one time we talked about this in the podcast so it's fair game but one time pat i got a call after a convention and pat was frantic and he's like the plane i'm on the plane they won't let me off the plane and i was like what are you talking what are you talking about pat and he's like i'm on the plane i can't get off and i was like well calm down like what, what what's going on he's like he's like i left my he's like i gotta get off the plane i left my uh I left my book at airport security. I guess what had happened is he opened his bag and he took he he keeps his copy of Doors of Stone on a single unencrypted external hard drive, USB oh, it's hard unencrypted. drive. A normal unencrypted USB stick or hard drive or something and he left oh. it at airport security and he's like that's the only copy. And <laughs> eventually it was recovered, but I begged and pleaded with him to get a cloud backup, like, you know, one of these solutions where you can just sort of mm-hmm. plug, you know, at night, you know, I use I, like, like, in fact, we had this company Backblaze that after I told that story, they actually sponsored our podcast so that I would like read an ad for Backblaze every week and tell Pat to use this thing. And they gave Pat a free subscription. Backblaze oh. is amazing. It just backs your whole computer up every day and I use it and it's awesome. And I never worry about leaving my <laughs> the airport because it's, you know, it's, I have it. I have an encrypted backup online if I need and I couldn't tell you if Pat is using it or not. I think he said he was just to appease me, but I honestly, I bet his book is, I bet there's still just one copy of that book and it's on a hard drive. And someday he's that hard drive's going to fall in the toilet or it's going to, the drive's going to crash or he's going to lose it or someone's going to steal it. And uh, that's it. Got to start over on the book. Oh, that, that paints a very bleak picture, but I'm, I'm hoping that either he publishes it first or, that he is actually using black black bays bays 
Back mm-hmm. backblaze, backblaze. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe his st- he also has more people working for him, and he has like he has an amazing team. So hopefully they've like intervened on my behalf and forced him to back up his computer. But uh, I always thought that it's just such a sweet story. It's like I don't know. It's like just go. It's just, there's a certain carefree like wouldn't you be a happier person if you didn't worry about backing up your work and you're just like you know hey, i'll do it again if i lose it yeah it'll be, it'll be fine yeah i heard that pat recent well not recently but i heard another interview with pat where he t- started doing bullet journals so he can keep lists and i was trying to imagine whether he did it on his phone or on an actual piece of paper I'll interrogate this. That's an, that's very that is really interesting to hear. I mean, a bullet journal is so woefully inadequate to like manage all of the stuff that Pat is going on. So like, I, he needs some sort of project management software or something like that. But <laughs> well, uh, that's exactly the kind of thing I'll yell at him about when we uh, get the podcast going again. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad I could do that for him. So yes. Thank you very much again. This was for so much fun. On. Thank you very much for having me, and um, I will uh, can't wait to hear the ep- the finished episode. Thank you. All right, uh, bye. All right, bye. Have a great morning. That was Max Temkin. You can find Max at maxestentialism.com, at Max Temkin on Twitter, and soon on a podcast with our friend Patrick Rothfuss. The reason he isn't speaking for himself is because right before I brought up bullet journals, we had this brilliant exchange totally worth it oh good i'm glad this was really fun any any final uh any final questions uh uh, notes uh anything anything we should go over um no (laughs) cool this was so much fun thank you so much for having me if you listen carefully you can actually hear my brain lock up and explode anyways find me on facebook twitter gmail my Twitter handle is at road the number two tinue, and Gmail's the same road to tinue at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the episode and any other thoughts and feelings you have. And for all you new folks who came in to listen because you just found the show, please make sure you rate and review us wherever you listen to find podcasts. Music today was by Mark Haas and CeeLo Green. Thank you for your unwitting donations, Elo Green. See you on the road.